Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, I, I have to admit that I was feeling a little bit rusty as I uh, was thinking about <laughs> writing a, a sermon for this week and preaching this morning. So I was really glad to discover that the lectionary, our, our set list of readings, has us in the letter to the Ephesians because I love Ephesians. It might be my favorite book. Uh, I read it regularly. I've got chunks of it memorized. I, uh, the, the the whole armor of God. Today's passage was one of my earliest Sunday school memories. So I figured this was a good way to get back in the swing of things. Uh, but my goodness, <laughs> there's a lot going on in this passage, isn't there? I mean, mercy. Uh, I, I should know better than to think that I could have a handle on a passage of Scripture. I'll, I'll learn someday. But I think in the meantime, uh, I'm really great. Thank you, Prairie, for your... Or for praying for me. It was wonderful. But I think we better... I'm gonna need, we're going to have to pray again. Uh, for for uh, for me and for all of us. So let's let's pray together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that by your Spirit you continue to speak to us through the Scriptures. You continue to make yourself known. So help us to hear you well and to know you better, so that in whatever we do, we might make you better known in this world. Comfort us where we need comfort. Convict us where we need conviction. And in all things, draw us into your grace, your hope and peace and joy and love for us and for all things. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds that they might be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ, with Christ, and in Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. So finally, finally, that's, that's how Paul begins this passage. Finally. 
He's bringing it home. After everything, this is what he wants to say. Right? This is the last, the last word. But it's kind of important to know that this is more than just Paul landing the plane after a soaring sermon. You know, this isn't just the signal that he's wrapping things up. Uh, the Greek word here is more like uh, from now on. Right? If we were a little fancier, we might say henceforth. Uh, you know, knowing what you know, move into the world, move into the future in this way. See, Paul's been reminding the Ephesian church, uh, and he's been reminding us through the Holy Spirit of all of the wonders of salvation. Right? Big chunks of this letter are, are just kind of an ecstatic outpouring of the, uh, about the lavishness and extravagance of God's goodness and grace in the world. Now, he reminds us over and over again that we are living in a world in which Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, there may be a lot of things different between 1st century Ephesus and 21st century Vancouver, but the one thing that is the same is that we live in a world in which Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, which is to say that we live in a world in which God is at work doing things that we couldn't have imagined for the sake of a hope bigger than we could have hoped for. Paul's reminded us that we're called to live lives of wholehearted response to that fact. You know, right in the middle of the letter, he says this, he says, live lives worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You know, which isn't about earning our place in God's grace or making ourselves worthy. In Jesus, God has already declared that we are worthy. You are worthy of this call. But it's about responding to uh, God with a passion that reflects God's passion for us and for this world. Right? The, the image Paul uses is of a balance scale. Right? He spends the first half of the letter heaping uh, on the extraordinary love and mercy and grace of God. He piles on image after image uh, to help us understand the height and depth and length and width of God's love for us in Christ. And then he calls us to pile our life on the, on the other side of the scale. Right? To give as we've been given. To love as we've been loved. Now, Paul doesn't have any illusions that we can kind of match uh, God's goodness, but I, I, you know, I can see him kind of smiling, thinking that we get to try, right? We get, not as a burden, but as a joy. We get to live in a world in which Jesus is raised from the dead. God is up to marvelous things, and we get to live in that truth. And we're meant to be imitators of God, Paul says earlier. And what we know about God in and through Christ is very good. Now, so finally, now we're one word in. Like I said, there's a lot here. I hope you didn't make any plans. <laughs> no, finally, knowing what you know, knowing what we know. And I'd encourage you to go back and read the letter. If you, if you haven't read it, read it for the first time. If you've read it before, read it again uh, so that we know what Paul's on about. Knowing what we know, move forward in this way. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And here's the thing about that line. Paul uses the same words here. They're translated differently, so we kind of miss them in our translations. But the same words that he uses to describe the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead in chapter 1, verse 19. This is one more reminder in that we live in a world in which Christ is raised from the dead. That's the reality that we live from. If we know nothing else, Paul wants us to know that, that we are called and commissioned and conscripted to be beacons and vessels and agents of the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the basic condition of the church. Whatever else is going on, that's the truest thing about us. But there is other stuff going on, isn't there? 
Right? There was an Ephesus, there is now. You know, in the book of Revelation, the, the last book of the Bible, uh, it, it, it begins with a series of letters to seven churches, and the church in Ephesus gets one of them. And, and we hear there that the community is enduring. And, and here, it's not just like lasting a long time, but, but kind of bearing some stuff. <laughs> you know, they're just kind of getting through. Nothing is easy. In fact, things have been such a challenge that they have forgotten the passion in which they were called. They, they, they're just going through the motions because it's all so much. You know, this is a church that's known some persecution. They're surrounded by this great pagan culture that understands the world very differently than they were learning to understand it. The Ephesus was the home of the, the temple of the goddess Artemis, which was one of the, the seven ancient wonders of the world. Ephesus was an important trade city, as Aaron was talking about, you know, with all of the exciting temptations and dead-end diversions uh, that a booming metropolis has to offer. So while many of the, the conditions were obviously different than the ones we find ourselves in, I think it's fair to say that it isn't any easier to live in the name of, and way of Jesus now than it was then. You know, the, the challenges may not be exactly the same, but I find it fairly easy to relate to a group of Christians who might find themselves a little bit worn out by the state of things. You know, there are lots of days right now where I feel a little bit worn out by the world, you know, whether it's forest fires or the ocean on fire or Afghanistan or more and more unmarked graves found at residential schools. The, the current news cycle feels like a little bit much these days. You know, and yet Paul says, and he was writing before Revelation, he was writing before now, but I bet he'd say the same thing. Paul says, finally, knowing what you know, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Now, we don't have to do what we're called to do according to our own capacities. We get to be strong in the strength of God's power. We have access to, we are gathered up in, we are sent out in and by and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Our lives get to be signs that God does marvelous things, even in the midst of something as hopeless as the grave, right? Jesus was not raised up from a comfortable middle-class lifestyle. He was raised from the dead. Our lives are made to bear witness to the fact that we live in a world that where even a grave is not hopeless. And that Jesus is raised from the dead, but not, even, not just raised from the dead, but that he's seated on heaven's throne and even now working out the redemption of all things. That God is going to get the world God wants is our basic claim. From now on, that's what's truest about us. You know, which is all well and good, but, but what are we supposed to do now? And what does it mean to live in the strength of God's power, to be strong in the Lord? How are we supposed to do that? Well, it's a lot like getting dressed. <laughs> it's kind of remarkable, you know. When I think of power, doing powerful things or powerful people, I think about action and accomplishment and movers and shakers. I think about big projects and achieving something obviously successful or rallying the troops and storming the gates and, and taking ground. And Paul thinks about getting dressed. I mean, sure, the images of putting on armor and there are serious battles to be fought. There's evil that must be faced down. There are principalities and powers and systems and structures that must be confronted. We have work to do as the church. But there's no frantic energy. There's no violence in his instructions. There's, there's no chasing after control. You know, growing in the strength of God's power can be as low-key as getting dressed to face the day, whatever it brings. 
It's a good reminder of a phrase I often come back to that we're, we're not meant to be in the world for God, but we're meant to be in God for the world. Right? There's a huge difference. Not in the world for God, but in God for the world. If we're in the world for God, we end up running around trying to impose things on the world. You know, sometimes even apparently good things, but the, the motivations are all wrong. And we're likely to start thinking of, that our battles are against flesh and blood, contrary to what Paul says. When we're in the world for God, people who disagree with us become enemies to be bested. Anything contrary to our vision has to be changed or eradicated. When we're running around for God, it becomes awfully hard to follow Jesus' command to figure out how to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. But if we're in God for the world, we allow that what we're about is first and finally God's work. We, we live in the hope and promise that God's going to get the world that God wants. That, not that we're going to make it that way. But we, are, we, we participate and we are conscripted into God's work. We don't get to use God for our best will and effort. And even when that feels kind of counterintuitive, because we are people who've been told that one of the highest goals in life is getting what we want, uh, in the company of Jesus, we know it's good news. When we're in God for the world, it's, it's good news. We're being transformed and renewed and restored for more than we can ask or imagine. We're being equipped to respond in our everyday lives to the things that would try to keep us and others from the abundant life that God wants for us and for all things. And we do that by getting dressed. We put on this peculiar armor, Paul says. We start with the belt of truth. What holds everything together, what allows us to move swiftly and freely is truth. But this is more than, than just facts and explanations and information. It's more than the stuff that talking heads yell at each other on TV. It's more than the sound bites and the memes that we share on social media. It's, it's the kind of truth that we come to know in Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. This is truth born of experience, of intimacy, and of love. It's truth uh, that God in Christ was pleased, not resigned to the fact, but pleased to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to himself. It's the truth that God loves this world with an unrestrained passion. It's the truth that God could stay away but won't, that God could leave us to our own devices but hasn't. It's the truth that we are not alone, but we live in God's world. We begin by wrapping that around us to hold everything else in place. And next is the breastplate of righteousness. What, what protects our hearts and our guts uh, is, is righteousness, which basically most simply means right relationship, right? Uh, right relationship with God, ourselves, each other, and the rest of creation. It's growing in understanding that God is God and we're not. Uh, we're not cut out for that gig, but we are created as deeply loved creatures. It's growing an understanding that we are made in God's image. As Paul says earlier in the letter, to do good works, to participate in beauty and flourishing. It's growing an understanding that that's how all people are made. Each person we meet is made to reflect the beauty and wonder of God, even if sometimes we have to look a little harder. And it's growing an understanding that God's intention is good for all things. God wants to relieve creation's groaning. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says what we now know for sure, that all of creation is desperately longing for the church to be the church, for Christians to be Christians, to look like Christ and live in self-giving, life-flourishing love that we're made for. 
To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to let ourselves be conformed to God's saving vision for all things. And then on our feet, we put whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. I love that this is not a kind of one-size-fits-all sort of thing. And Paul's aware that we're going to need, in order to be peacemakers, uh, different things depending on the situation. You know, sometimes we need work boots, sometimes we need running shoes, sometimes we need sandals. And I think that this image should remind us that uh, being a people of peace requires a kind of flexibility. It requires good instincts. It requires attention to where we are and the people who are right in front of us. Right? I mean, as the old saying goes, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? If all of our peacemaking footwear is work boots, uh, we're going to have a hard time when the situation calls for flip-flops, right? Uh, we need to put on whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Next, we take on the shield of faith. The, the two, two things about faith here. Uh, one is that, biblically speaking, faith is a gift, right? We don't snatch this shield. We are given this shield. It's a gift, not an accomplishment. Uh, we receive it as, a, as grace. And, and second, it's about more, more about trust than belief, right? It, it's not not about belief, but it's the kind of belief that comes from knowing the one in whom we trust. The reason that the shield of faith quenches the flaming arrows of the evil one is that it's the sure and certain knowledge that the God who made the heavens and the earth is with us and for us no matter what. It's trust that there's more than going on than we can see. Faith reminds us that we live in a world in which Jesus is raised from the dead, which means that there is nowhere that God won't come after us. Nothing is hopeless. And next is the helmet of salvation. There's kind of a curious thing here, too, which is that Paul doesn't tell us to put on the helmet of salvation, but to take it in hand. And maybe, I don't want to read too much into this, but it's interesting to me that there's a kind of casualness here, right? Like we're ready for attacks and battles and all, but we're not charging recklessly or neurotically wearing our helmet all the time just in case. We don't have to wear our helmet to bed, you know? We've, we've got it. It can't be taken from us. We're ready for what's coming. In the name of Jesus, not even death will get the last word on us, and that should both embolden us when necessary, but also keep us kind of calm and measured in the moment. We're not meant to be walking around on eggshells. We're meant for abundance. And finally, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. And it's neat to me that the one thing that's kind of like a weapon in all this isn't technically a weapon at all. Now, of course, the Bible has been used violently and the church needs to repent of that at every turn. Let's insist unequivocally that when the gospel brings death and destruction, whether to a community or to a culture, it's no longer the gospel of peace, right? But the thing that protects us and helps us defeat not each other, but, and not flesh and blood enemies, but the spiritual attacks that threaten our God-given, Christ-shaped, spirit-flourished lives is immersing ourselves in the story of God with God's people and the story of Scripture. You know, I think one of the devil's primary weapons is shame. It might be the primary weapon. Shame, shame is deadly, and it has all sorts of deadly symptoms, and it can be sneaky. But the thing is that shame is always narrative, right? It's always rooted in our stories. And what protects us from shame and defeats it is knowing that what's true about us is that we are God's beloved children and that there is nothing that can take that from us. There's nothing past, present, or future that will separate us from the love of God. 
And then once we're all dressed, you heard Aaron read it before. That was good. Uh, Paul says, pray in the Spirit, in God for the world, right? The first thing we do when we're dressed for action is to stop, (laughs) to ask God for what we need, to pray for others and pray for the world, to spend time in the presence of God so that we know the actual battles we're in and so that we know the one with whom we face them. Now, it's in prayer that we learn to say, thy will be done, not mine. It's in prayer that we learn to say, thy kingdom come, not ours. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is intentional attention to God, which is how we learn to live as God's resurrection people in God for the world. So finally, (laughs) bear with me, this this actually is the end. Finally, I want to encourage you to take some time today. And I encourage you to do it today. You know, if you do it, put it off till tomorrow, you'll forget. I want to encourage you to write down these pieces of God's armor. You know, write them on a cue card, or if you're a fancy kind of person, type them up in a fancy font and put them on a poster. Uh, stick them somewhere that you'll see them regularly. Put them in your wallet or on your door or your bathroom mirror. Make them your screensaver. Right? Have them close at hand to remind you that these are the conditions in which you live and move and have your being as God's beloved, and you are God's beloved. These are the conditions of your life, truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and spirit. And let's let these things root us and ground us in God's love so that we grow strong in the strength of God's resurrection power for the sake of this world. So to God, who by the power at work within us, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is able to do abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To God be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, now and forever. Amen.